This is Out of Our Minds, and you are listening to part two of a discussion on preaching by Pastor Tim Bailey, Pastor Jacob Menzel, and myself, Nathan Alberson. I said it last week, but I'm going to say it again. If you really want to understand preaching, along with the entire spectrum of the work of a shepherd, then you need to go to newgenevaacademy.com. The church needs shepherds after God's own heart, shepherds who have compassion, who have skill, and who have the right knowledge to feed the sheep. God calls particular men to lead this work, and these men need good training, but good training can be hard to find. Not at New Geneva Academy, though. At NGA, we desire to return to the old paths where pastors trained pastors in the local church. Our program is a vital partnership with local churches, providing rigorous and affordable training to men who are mentored in their home churches, producing shepherds, elders, and pastors after God's own heart. So check out newgenevaacademy.com. Well, returning to the more practical stuff, even when you went off script, so to speak, you always prepared a manuscript, right, through your whole preaching Yeah, I never, time. maybe twice in my 40 years did I not have a manuscript. And when you yeah. stopped reading it, did you basically find yourself doing a lot of the stuff that was in the manuscript, or did you end up just doing something else? I was listening to Andy Halsey, Pastor Halsey, over in Columbus a couple of weeks ago. And it was fascinating. Andy is, he's deep and he's analytical and he's self-deprecating. And when it was over, I said to him, that was very, very helpful, Andy. And then I said, but honestly, some of your circuitous ways of getting, and we got in the car to go home, Mary Lee says, Nothing like the pot calling the kettle black. (laughs) Who do you think he learned that from? But it was a ride. It was not a performance. Mm -hmm. It was a ride that you got in the car and you went up and down and around. And it was fascinating. The scenery, Mary Lee and I got on the, the Bernina Express in Switzerland. And you're going around circles and looking at the tail of your train Mm -hmm. because of the tight circles. You know, that's like Andy. That's what his preaching is like. Mm -hmm. And, of course, it's impossible to not love him. Right. Because it's self-deprecating. Right. Mm -hmm. What I found was that I always knew precisely where I was in the manuscript. Mm -hmm. I would often jump from the beginning to the end and back to the middle. But the predominant ordering mechanism became the eyes of the people dwelling in the thoughts of the people, realizing where they were not in agreement, where they were fearful, where they were. In other words, I would live in the manuscript and in the people. Mm -hmm. And that determined how I would deal. We had a woman in our church, and we still named Carol Canfield. Carol often will be pungent in the way she says things that other people are still sort of trying to figure out. Mm -hmm. And Carol said, you know, Tim, when you preach, you go all over the place. And and I forget where you were headed. And sometimes I just stop and pray, oh, Lord, bring them home. (laughs) And I would think about that all the time in preaching. One time we had a, a college woman, the first Sunday of the new school year, she was a freshman, she was sitting right up front. And in the middle of the sermon, she raises her hand. And so I I looked at her and I said, yes, ma'am. I didn't know who she was. And she said, where are you getting that? That's not in the text. (laughs) 
And the text was up on the wall. And I didn't object to her saying it. I turned around and I showed her how what I was saying was directly related to this, 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 and this, and that it was an exposition of the text up on the wall right now. And it was very clear to me. And I think most people it was very clear to you. They couldn't have said what I said. They couldn't have connected all the dots. Mm-hmm. Connected the dots. When I got done, she said, Yeah, but. And I said, Now, wait a second. You've had your say. I answered your question. Now, further questions need to be after I'm done. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, yes, the manuscript, absolutely every single sermon, because when you write a manuscript, you decide what your transitions are. You decide what the main point you want to make is. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, the preaching is always connected to your manuscript. Jake, what would you say about that? I'm in the middle of figuring this out again. So when I started preaching in college ministry, I started with manuscripts, and I got to the place in college ministry where by the end I didn't even take notes or maybe just an outline into the pulpit. But never on a Sunday morning have I ever not had a manuscript. And so I've been trying to find my way forward in that and thinking it through. And a lot of it for me is like, well, it's a lot easier when all you have is a bunch of, at least for me at this point in my ministry, when all I have is 18 to 22 year olds right in front of me. You mean back in the day? Back in the day. Yeah. Well, even now it would be, it'd be even easier, I think, to just, all right, like this is such a tight demographic and I know this handful of people and I can preach to these people. But now as I have a church that I'm preaching to week on week of the whole range of people from all over the place, it's like, well, I have to do a lot more work to be sure that I'm really preaching to everybody. And so, yeah, I'm pushing myself to rely less on my manuscript. But yeah, you have everything that you've worked out that you want to say, you have your transitions, you have your points, you have your illustrations, and then you have the people. But the whole point of preaching is that is not a delivery, it's an exchange. And so that's absolutely true, which is why it's not preaching to sit under a a podcast, right? Or to watch a video or somebody on a video screen. Yeah. But when we podcast here, it's very interesting that there is an exchange here, actually. I'm not arguing that the podcast can is in any way preaching. Right. But there is an exchange here, and that's what Nathan exists to be. Right. In other words, the reason that we're able to podcast is that Nathan is always representing the listener. Right. He never gets far from that. Lucas did the same thing. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes a good podcast is that you have an exchange in the room during the recording where Nathan forces us, well, I'm thinking about a listener who's saying this, and I want to be an advocate for people who, and is this really what you're saying? And and that's also why people can listen to sermons that have been preached to other churches, because there is an exchange that's happening that they're able to participate in. Vicariously. But but it is vicarious, and it's not the same as being in the room and having the pastor shepherding his people through the preaching of the word, and the people responding— and the shepherd feeding off of that and seeing things that he needs to dwell on or seeing that one person over there that he wasn't thinking about and then seeing the application to them that they need to hear in that moment or whatever it is. Yeah, it's often the case that when we're preaching, one person being there will completely change the sermon. Yeah, what's always amazing to me is you have God bring certain people to your mind or to your heart, either in your preparation and your manuscript or while you're preaching and you're, ma- you're seeing the people in front of you. 
And then somebody else who wasn't even in your mind yeah, 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 yeah. will think that you directed everything yeah, right yeah, at them. I've had that it happens happen so all the time. Times. Well, and the, they take the very, negative corollary uh, of the person that you were trying to hit is just like, do 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 arrows. Yeah, right. Yeah. That that happens so much, but I would like to say apropos to nothing we've been talking about that I hope every listener will go and listen to the sermon my brother David preached yesterday. Hmm. Yesterday the, being we better give a date because it won't correspond to when they they're listening to it. Today is Tuesday the 13th. So the 12th. The 12th of December at Christ 2022 for the funeral of Bob Forney. Okay. Mm. I was like Monday. Yeah. It was exactly what is nowhere in the church today. And that is, it was a, a sermon on the fall and the purpose of death and judgment. Mm. And, oh, it was so uplifting. And I'm not talking because, of course, everybody's brain is fried at this point. How could you talk about a sermon on death and the purpose of death and judgment at a funeral and say it was uplifting? And I would say, if that is not uplifting to you, Either I'm wrong and you have a pastor that preaches sermons on that, and I don't think you do, or you have forgotten that truth is the most encouraging thing in the world, and that the truth of the fall and of the judgment that's over all creation and every man because of the fall that we all groan, if you've forgotten that, you're either smoking dope or you're eating haagen ice cream every night. Mm -hmm. Or I should say every Sunday morning from your pulpit. Mm -hmm. Because I just grieve over the condition of the church today. It is so tragic that so many people are so certain of their standing before God, who are killing their unborn children using hormonal birth control, who have children who are transitioning, and they're just trying to make it okay for them to come to family reunions. In other words, our lives are a living denial in the way we speak, the way we live together, of the most fundamental nature of truth and of morality today. Nobody can look at the big picture without seeing that, but everybody wants to deny it in the particular in their own homes, their own families, their own church. And so to have my brother stand up as a minister of the word and proclaim the purpose of death, condemn euthanasia, there is no good death. And so I'm saying this because I think people listening here might think that we're talking about the normal church, the, the things we're describing and the way we're talking about preaching is actually common. Mm -hmm. And it's not. It's completely uncommon. It's not what you're taught to do at seminary. It's not what your people want you to do. I have a friend, Jürgen von Hagen, and he's a pastor in Germany. And most of his church at this point are African refugees. And Jürgen had one of them explain to him, one of the older men in the church, that he should not preach about sin because that was discouraging to people. And what people need is to be uplifted, right? And Jürgen just kept preaching about sin. And when I got there, I knew this story from him because we're friends. When I got there, his first sermon, he was going through the Psalms, and his first sermon, what I noticed was how silent the congregation was. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, I had great freedom tonight. Mm -hmm. 
And one of the ways you know that the Holy Spirit is using you is that there is the presence of the Lord. Mm. And often the indication of that is silence, not a fearful silence, but almost a fearful, a reverent, a holy silence. They were hanging on the word of God. And it wasn't Jürgen. And so I wanted to bring that up because David's sermon, and, and it's a little bit, sometimes the vocabulary is, is a little sophisticated. Everybody would improve David's sermon, but I'm mentioning it here because we're talking about preaching. And I sat under it yesterday. And it was, I was flabbergasted to see a member of the family sitting there scrolling through social media and texting during this sermon. Mm. And so if you listen to the sermon, have that picture in your mind. I actually thought about going up. We're in front of, and it was a huge sanctuary. And I thought about walking over and saying, do not do that. Mm-hmm. But then that would have been authoritative. And who am right. I to say that? That's too self-deprecating. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you don't have any authority. Anyway. None of us do, really. So you guys both said manuscript, which I think is really interesting. I mean, obviously the great, you're Jonathan Edwards, whatever, you can find manuscripts, but you take any community college public speaking class, which I have, and they'll say, outline, outline. Don't right. don't chain yourself to the specific wording of a manuscript. And we know Tim doesn't because he didn't actually read the manuscripts by and large for the second half of his career. Well, and I, I'd like to not, and I'm moving away I think from that, because even as I go through my manuscript on Sunday morning, what I'm often doing is I'm taking a blue pen, I'm making little sort of like outline notes. I hope I'm able to, in that moment, have the freedom to to just tell the story or make the application with the people in front of me. But some of it, at least for me, is a crutch that I, I want to grow past. But part of the work of the manuscript is actually working <coughs> out what you really <coughs> believe the passage you're preaching on teaches. Part of the work of discovery, I think, for me, is writing the manuscript. Part of the work of figuring out what I think and where it hits me and where I'm convicted of sin and where I think my, people need it is just working it out. And that works itself out as a manuscript. So it's just like the act of thinking, the act of working it out is the, the writing of the manuscript itself for me. But I think that because, as we've also said, it's an exchange, right? It's not a download. It's not just like a delivery of content. That's why we... we keep coming back to well, what we need to do is step away and actually have that exchange and preach to the people in front of us and not read and download a thing and not perform an act for people, but really preach to their hearts and minds and consciences. So for me, the preparation of working through it at this point, at least, is just writing writing and working through the manuscript and actually doing the diligence of getting it all the way worked out. Manuscripts can be a crutch. But they can also be what Jake was saying, that they're the way you learn the text and the way you learn what you need to know from the text and to teach from the text. So you write a book, you write a manuscript. Often I have gone back to things I've written 10, 15, 20 years later, and I learn again the thing I didn't know before I wrote it and the thing I forgot as soon as I wrote it. I'm amazed what I learn by reading things I've said or preached or or written in the past. Mm. But there's no question the best thing to do is to walk into the pulpit with an outline. There's no question. I have always been horrible at outlines, whether it's a book, whether it's an essay, whether it's... I'm just horrible. It's like I'm colorblind also. And I would put it on that level. I don't know what it is 
I'm also horrible at topical sermons. Hmm. And I almost feel that the reason I'm bad at topical sermons and outlines is that they require you to stop. They require you to have an end. And they require you to think through what you're not going to include. Mm-hmm. And I am incapable of not including things <laughs> yes. or deciding not to include things. Yeah. It's just like... As the editor of your books, I can't yeah. confirm this is true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And well, I think for me, the biggest art of the manuscript... So the way that I work, I mean, it really does depend on what I'm, what I'm preaching through. Like if I'm doing something that I've never really studied before, like I preached through Ruth this past year, I never studied Ruth in depth. I'm reading all the commentaries. Yeah. I'm like taking notes. I've got all these things to say and everything that everybody said. And I'm trying to figure out what I think is actually going on and how it actually works. I got all this stuff. And then it's like, okay, now I got to figure out what not to say. And that's the art of my manuscript for preaching through Ruth. Whereas when I'm preaching through Romans, actually, I have a, a dozen commentaries and I read almost none of them because I've spent so much time in Romans that. It's like, okay, like I've got to figure out what I want to say. Mm-hmm. And so it's different based on what it is I'm preaching. And if I'm preaching topically, oh man, I have to outline it. I have to figure it out. I have to fill it in. I have to have a point A and point Z and every step along the way, or I'm going to get lost. Yeah. I, at conferences, you're never allowed to preach. You're always supposed to speak. Mm-hmm. And... I always wish that I could travel around preaching. It's preaching that I love to do because I love to deal with our sin, God's kindness, God's kindness that leads to repentance, the promise of glorification. I want to love the congregation. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be a monkey that performs for them, okay? And nobody today does what they did back in colonial times, which is invite men to come preach to their congregations. Nobody ever does that. And it's one of the reasons I love my brother David. He's basically been the only man who has invited me regularly to come and preach to his people. And we need to restore our love for preaching. And we don't need to limit preaching to Sunday mornings or Sunday mornings and evenings. Mm-hmm. But I do think that the best thing is an outline, but an outline requires somebody who's disciplined enough to decide what they're not going to say. And that has never been a skill. I'm colorblind, (laughs) and I'm not disciplined enough to to decide what I'm not going to (laughs) say. So you do have, I don't want to get too far away from it without saying this. Tim, if I can be not deprecating about you for a second, you have a remarkable facility to process in real time in front of people, seeing how they're responding. Most people don't have that. Most people don't have it to that degree. Every pastor can cultivate it, can work on it, but I don't- And and should. And should. So I'm not making excuses for anybody, but Mm -hmm. I don't want people to feel like when you say, oh, I just stopped preaching from the manuscript. I bet most of our listeners are like, well, I couldn't actually- just do that. Is that fair? I was talking to Jurgen, and he spent his life as a professor and speaking around the world. He's a renowned economist. And he told me that he is always fearful when he gets up in front of a class, and he's in his 60s now, that he's always fearful that he'll run out of things to say. Hmm. And I could not conceive of that being true. Mm-hmm. 
And he was making a parallel to preaching. And he does go in a manuscript, and he reads his manuscript. And so there are people, apparently, <laughs> you know, who have to, I don't know how to say it. What, are, what am I trying to say? There are people who, because I think people listening to me say, well, he's just garrulous. You know, he's just got a mouth that never stops. And the truth is that during the week, I don't ever want to talk to anybody. So it's not that I love to talk. I'm actually an introvert. I know people don't believe that, but I feel so weary being talking mm -hmm. to people. And so you talk about my ability to process in real time, and I'm not sure that that's the best definition or description of it. What I would say is that I have a remarkable memory for what people say. I'm able decades later to tell you exactly what was said at a particular point in time. Mm -hmm. And almost always people, even when they don't remember it the same way, when I repeat my recollection, they'll say, oh yeah, that is what was said. And so in the pulpit, the way this works out is I have all kinds of people in there, in the sanctuary, I know them, I'm their shepherd, and I know what they have said that bears on this issue. And one thing I'm going to say that you guys might not know is that it was tremendously helpful to me when I stopped reading John Calvin in the process of writing my sermons. Hmm. Now, you're laughing at that because you know that I quote him all the time right. in the sermons, but what I had to learn to do was not to read Calvin as I was preparing to preach, but to read him in the back of the church as I was getting ready to come forward. Because if I read him earlier than that, I just wanted to shoot myself. Mm. But if I read it right before I get in the pulpit, it just explodes as I'm preaching because I remember what I just read. But I'm going to come back and say, I have friends who are famous. I have friends in Gospel Coalition, and I would say to them everything I've said here mm -hmm. and have to some of them. One of the things that's sad is that men who are pulpiteers think they're too important to care for their sheep. And so they can't preach this way because they don't know their sheep. Mm -hmm. And even if they know some things about their sheep, they don't love their sheep. And they certainly don't smell like their sheep. And so even though you're right that I have some abilities that are unique, the main thing is pastors don't preach because they don't love their sheep. And so they're not concerned to protect them. They're not willing to rebuke them. Mm -hmm. They're not willing to go against the women of the congregation's sense of propriety. And so we have to love our sheep. I just love Jesus saying to Peter, do you love me? We always like to quote Jesus saying, I am the one you're persecuting. He identifies himself so closely that he mm -hmm. rebukes Paul for persecuting him. But it's the church, right? right? But what we don't realize is the same thing goes on there at the sea sh at the lake shore, when he feeds them breakfast, he says to Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus says three times, tend my flock, feed my flock, tend my flock. In other words, Jesus makes love and feeding and tending the flock the same. There is no love for Jesus of a pastor that is not manifest in love and feeding and mm -hmm. caring for the sheep. And we have to restore the love that we see of the Apostle Paul. And we have to get away from all this performance art. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
it's so disgusting when you look at Paul and you think, why did he have to live so such a low life? Mm-hmm. And we get to live such high on the hog of our reputations and everything. Mm-hmm. I've probably said this three times now, so I'll stop. <laughs> <clears throat> because if a man finds that it is easier for him to do a lot of this work in, in a preparatory manner, in other words, he just doesn't feel as comfortable looking out at the crowd and reading things. Okay, well, well, is that a failure? Is it? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. No, it's not a failure. But what you have to do, no matter what you do, what gifts God has given you is love the sheep, right? So to, to pretend like there's a, some bifurcation that the Holy Spirit's only present if you are preaching extemporaneously, but never present in your preparation, never present in your work and study and prayer through a manuscript. And your pastoral care during the week that leads you to preach. All of it together, mm-hmm. right? Like there's no bifurcation there. If you're a shepherd, you love and you shepherd your sheep with the gifts God has given you to the best of your ability. And that starts through the week in your love and care for the people. And it carries into the pulpit with the gifts he's given you. And so, yeah, we want to have freedom to be able to just love the people in front of us. Some people, more work has to go into that behind the scenes. Part of why Tim is able in the latter part of his ministry to step away from his manuscripts was also that he had spent 30 years preaching and teaching and counseling and shepherding people and loving this particular flock. And so there's this wealth of experience and wisdom and practice that that equips you to move in those directions over time, but it is the practice of loving and shepherding and tending the flock. 